Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. hugging you. How many people have been noticing the people that are not here? And we're just we're just air hugging you this morning and love you so much and it's good to see your faces. Uh you know, I really wanted to pick up the last conversation we had uh over a video camera. Uh, 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 several weeks ago when we talked about being the body of Christ. And, you know, Blake shared a dream um, a couple weeks ago, if you didn't hear that, about Jesus. The night the, night the riots started in our city, Jesus uh, gave him a dream. Is that so helpful? <laughs> Blake, Huey, Lindy, Hale, these people that dream. It's just so helpful. And there, there was um, a huge, gaping, bloody wound over our city. And Jesus was inviting us to follow him into the wound. And he was pulling up his sleeves, getting ready to go to work. And everything in me just resonated with a yes. That's where I want to be. I want to be following Jesus into the heart of our city, into the wound of our city. And, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we have the most beautiful picture of what it literally means to be the body of Christ. And what is needed in this hour of history is the body of Christ. You know who needs to walk into the heart of the wound of our city is the body of Christ. And we are not first an organization. We are not first defined by a building we we are our first and primary thank the lord or we would have just lost our entire identity right we would be a very confused people if it took walls to be the body of christ but we are first defined by being the people who house the presence of jesus christ and we cannot do it alone it, it requires a unity, and in order to live in unity, it requires a diversity. And so, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 lays out this beautiful picture about how the eye cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. And to be baptized into a body, we have to realize that we are one. We cannot manifest the nature of Jesus on the earth without recognizing I need the entire body and the entire body needs me. And then we also have to recognize that we are one body, the Bible says, with many parts. So, you know, any healthy relationship has attachment and autonomy. That means I can be deeply attached to you and then I can recognize in rhythms that I am very different than you. My needs are very different than you. My perspective is very different than you. You know, the way a knee is experiencing the body 
you know, if you're a knee, you're like, hey, this body is all about bending and running. How fast can we go? What, what can we make these legs do? How low can we go? How high can we jump? And, and if you're a knee, that experience is 100% true. But what if I'm the butt? Can we say that in our family culture or do I need to say bottom? If I'm the butt in this body, because there's a butt in the body, and there's no lesser parts, so don't judge me if I'm the butt. And the butt's like, hey, this body is all about sitting. It's all about sitting comfortably. It's about sitting in a place of rest and meditating and sipping coffee. And if you're a butt, that is 100% true. And so we actually need a, a measure of humility that is not humanly possible to arise and shine in our hour of history. Because I cannot see and feel and experience inside this body the fullness of Christ without knowing what a knee feels like every single day, day in and day out. Because I'll never be a knee. I don't need to be a knee to honor the place the knee has in this body. I need to be attached to you, but I need to not feel like I need to become like you to honor you. I need, I need autonomy. I need to remain true to my assignment. If the butt suddenly becomes a knee, we have a very awkward situation in healing the wound in our city. We need a butt and a knee to march with the presence of Jesus into the heartbeat of our moment and hour in history. And, and so humility is huge right now. And, you know, even, even when I was preparing to preach this morning, I felt the father say, baby. And when he calls me that, I just brace myself because I know he's about to love some part of me to death. It's like, it's like, let me hug that out of you until it suffocates and dies. He says, uh, baby, it's probably going to be a good idea just to preach from the ground for a while. Just preach from the ground because when you get it wrong, it won't be so far to fall. So, you know, arising and shining in our hour of history in the gospel, in the body of Christ is not about getting it right. Nothing about the gospel says you got to know it all. You got to be right. Everything about the gospel is about living with a father who makes room for you to grow, who makes room for you to learn. We never create an environment in healthy, loving, parental attachment that says, oh my gosh, you tried to walk and you fell. You're never going to rock. You're just going to crawl for the rest of your life. You are a disgrace to the Stockman family name. So just slither on the earth for the rest of your days. Just be a really good crawler. No, no. Good, healthy parents expect failure. They expect their
their kids to fall forward and get up and try it again. This is what a righteous man does. He doesn't wait till he has it perfectly. He falls down. He learns something new and he gets back up and tries it again. And, and so you know what a religious spirit wants us to convince what qualifies us is the amount that we know. And in the kingdom, you will remain on the sideline forever if what you know is what qualifies you. And my personality is more this bent. I, I would like to take five years, read every book, and then feel like I might have about five minutes to say on the subject I'm about to read. But that is not how the kingdom works. And we're, we're going we're gonna to look at um, 1 Corinthians 1 this morning because, you know, the, to, to truly be the body of Christ, what we are studying, what we are memorizing is the person of Christ. When his body, his living, breathing body was on the earth, what did Jesus look like? What did Jesus feel like? And we, we are not mimicking ideas about Jesus. We are living inside the person of Jesus. You know, Lindy had a profound dream about this where we don't just put a what would Jesus do bracelet on and methodically make our way into Christ's likeness. We actually step inside the person of Jesus to be the body of Christ. And, you know, it, the kingdom moves forward not by right answers, but by honor. The violence in the kingdom is the violent humility of honor. And we are living in some extraordinary tensions in our hour of history that require extraordinary amounts of honor. Can our blood boil? In the same measure, the blood of heaven is boiling over the gut-wrenching injustice to African-Americans. Can we house that in the body of Christ while still maintaining honor and dignity to police officers? Or do, do we demonize all of police officers because we're housing the, the righteous anger over injustice in the body of Christ. And these, these are body issues because every joint and muscle is held together by a love. First Corinthians 13 says, a more excellent way that manifests itself in honor. We will violently move forward in this kingdom, in our hour of history, by a humility that knows how to go low and lift up honor. And so let me give you an example. And, you know, this, this is what healthy families do. We have real awkward conversations around our family table. <laughs> so let's just all celebrate that we're a healthy family. If we're making some messes, we're moving forward. It means we're actually eating something authentic if you get some spaghetti, spaghetti sauce on your face. If we're eating stale, religious, fake food, you know it's a plastic apple when there's no juice anywhere. <laughs> so we got to learn to celebrate the messes, clean them up with love and honor, and get back in the arena because we have been fashioned and 
emotional wound, a religious spirit getting it all right, knowing all the right things. It cannot heal this wound. The embodied presence of Jesus is what's going to heal this wound. And, you know, I can say freely and with a love and a smile on my face into that wound, black lives matter. They matter deeply to me. They matter eternally to me because they matter deeply and eternally to the heart of heaven. And as I've been sitting and listening in humility, what I've been hearing is the tension coming from the knee is, is there is an entire part of our beautiful, pure, brilliant body who likes to get to the bottom of eternal change. And there is an actual organization, how many have done your research on this, that violates the, the Black Lives Matter organization is different than the Black Lives Matter reality that is eternal. And we have to have autonomy. We have to be able to look at it and separate. I actually can't support that agenda because I don't just look at agendas and then bring them into my biblical worldview and see if it fits. I'm actually living inside the person of truth. And so when I show up, I'm not filtering things through truth. I'm allowing truth to be filtered inside of me. And so we cannot dishonor a pure, beautiful motive that tells the truth and says, hey, this agenda is not good. <laughs> We actually have to go low and say, tell me more. Help me understand and, and, and listen to the other parts of the body that we desperately need to be a healing force in the body of Christ. And then what we have to do is realize every evil agenda on the earth, when it hits the body of Christ, becomes sanctified. <laughs> so what the, the enemy meant for evil, he thought, I'm going to take this truth that black lives matter. Nobody in this family would ever argue. We actually have heroes in this family who have been laying down their life, not just for one generation, but generation after generation to elevate this truth that says equality is real. Black lives matter is real. And they've been doing it silently and secretly for decades. They are heroes amongst us. So none of us who, who live inside the heart of Jesus would ever question, do black lives matter? No, but what the enemy meant for evil, the people of God cannot adjust what we say into a wound because the devil will always have an evil motive on the earth. And I cannot adjust my language to accommodate accommodate the devil because I was reading yesterday in the Bible and you know what the religious spirit the political spirit they all hated Jesus Christ they called him a lunatic a demon possessed lunatic I got a ways to go because I, I have never once I've been preaching the gospel for a couple decades and nobody's ever called me that I've been waiting on the edge of my seat to get messy enough to be called a demon possessed lunatic because it's part of our birthright we are upsetters we are called 
And so to be the body of Christ on the earth means everything that comes into our presence that is unclean in one moment becomes sanctified. Because this is what Jesus modeled. Hey, don't touch lepers. You become unclean if you touch that. You, you agree with an unclean motive if you touch that. And what did Jesus, Jesus know? He went and touched every unclean person. He let prostitutes with their dirty reputation come and spill all their grief on his feet. He let, he, you know, he knew in a crowd of thousands pushing on him from every side that one hand, a woman who had been unclean for 12 years had just touched him. And nobody expected a king like Jesus who, who would step inside of humanity and get dirty with us. Nobody expected the Messiah, the most awaited hero in human history, to put on flesh and first look, where are the broken? Where are the hurting? He, he didn't come looking for sinners. He came looking for his kids. And his kids were bound up and broken and defeated because of the fruit of sin. And so as we are navigating our moment in history, what we have to realize is becoming the nature of Jesus is the solution. Absolute, single, completely given, no reservations pursuit to the person of Jesus is the answer. And if you just turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1, I just want to read a couple verses. And we're going to start in verse 18, and it says, To preach the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction. But to us who are on our way to salvation, it is the mighty power of God released within us. And he goes on to say, where are the philosophers? Where are the people who understand? Where, where are the scholars who can comprehend? And, and he intentionally, verse 21 said, in his wisdom, God designed that all the world's wisdom would be insufficient to lead people to the discovery of himself. You cannot discover Jesus by yourself. <laughs> and he took great delight in baffling the wisdom of the world by using the simplicity of preaching the story of the cross in order to save those who believed it. And down in 23, it says, but we preach the crucified Messiah. The Jews stumble over him and the rest of the world sees him as foolishness. But for those who have been chosen to follow him, both Jews and Greeks, he is God's mighty, mighty power, God's true wisdom and our Messiah. He is the wisdom of God. And, you know, it goes on to say he chose the lowly. He chose the insignificant. He chose, he chose the, the ones that everyone laughed at in order to supersede what is regarded as prominent. So down in verse 30, it says, And now 
He is our God-given wisdom, our virtue, our holiness, and our redemption. And this fulfills what is written. So what we have to understand is actually elevating the cross is what heals a nation. Actually elevating the cross is what heals our wounds. And, you know, in John 3, one of the most famous passages of Nicodemus coming and being brave enough to ask some confusing questions, Jesus says, I am going to be like the serpent that Moses lifted up in the desert. I am going to be lifted up and all who look to me will be healed. And, and when you look at the story in Numbers, the people of God had been wandering in the desert and, and they were getting impatient, the Bible says. And they started uh, basically cursing God because of this worthless food that was supernaturally showing up on the ground every day. And, you know, their sin in the old covenant required judgment. And all these poisonous snakes went about the people and bit them, and they were dying. And so, you know, redemption was brought by Moses crafting a bronze snake and lifting it up on a stick. <laughs> and when the people of God just looked at it, they didn't have to do anything but behold the snake. They were instantly healed of their poison. And so Jesus is saying, I am going to be lifted up and I am going to possess your judgment. I'm going to be, I'm going to become the judgment we deserved. And, you know, physically, sometimes when we think about arising and shining, it's, it feels more magical to think about the resurrection. But in this context, he was talking about the moment when the cross was laid on the earth and Jesus was laid out on the ground on the cross and nails were beat into his hands and into his feet. And that alone, it's hard to imagine how excruciating that would be. But the moment he was lifted up off the earth was violent because all of his body weight had to adjust to hanging by threads of flesh by nails. And he is saying him being suspended on a cross between the earth and the heavens, when we behold his beauty in that place, we are healed. And it sounds foolish to the world that it could be that simple, looking at a suffering king. But this is what God calls wisdom. And, you know, we need wisdom in the body of Christ. And, you know, yesterday as I was just leaning in, I felt Jesus bring up Solomon to me. And he said, did you know when Solomon asked for wisdom, he was asking for me? Because what this passage tells us is Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God made manifest on the earth. So wisdom is a person. And what we need in this hour of history is the person of wisdom. When we, when we 
are navigating wounds on the earth, we have to realize how would Jesus navigate? Because that's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. And for the longest time, I thought redemption that this is talking about. When we look at Christ hanging on the cross, this is our wisdom. This is the wisest way. I thought, I thought redemption in our stories was I forget about the injustice done to me. Doesn't that sound magical? You know, like, I forget about it. There's, I forget about the pain. I forget about the fear. I forget about the lies that it taught me. And, and you know, I thought, I thought that's what covering shame in the gospel looks like. We forget about it. Until I had Jesus start to walk in memory by memory to excruciating memories that I thought I already dealt with. I thought the goal was to forget. And one in particular, I was in this memory, and I, I, I honestly just still hated it, but, but by faith I was just choosing the blood of Jesus is enough for this injustice. But just choosing that is not enough for the blood of Jesus. And he came and he sat on a bed where deep injustice happened to me. And I felt the weight of his majesty walk in the room. I felt the weight of his splendor. I felt how significant he is. I felt his crown and his robe. And he sat on the bed. And I knew he had come to see me in this shame. He had come to remember this moment. And for weeks, every time I would close my eyes, all I could see was him sitting on the foot of the bed, intently looking at me. And, and he would show me his hands, and, the, and there was holes. And he, he would say, I will never forget what was done here. I have inscribed it on the palm of my hands for all of eternity. So, so the goal of healing a wound inside of the gospel is not to forget. That is not redemption. Redemption is the blood of Jesus changes what I remember. Because now all I can see when that memory wells up is a king who was willing to be violently lifted from the earth. And not just generally know my grief, but to intimately, personally put it on himself and allow the torment of my suffering to murder him. We are not redeemed until we can remember with the eyes, the fiery eyes of that king looking at every injustice that has deeply wounded us. And so what we have to remember about grief, when, when we are looking to heal the wounds of a city, to heal the wounds of a nation, is nobody moves forward by trying to forget. And nobody moves forward by just trying to get over it. What love does is it sits on the foot of the bed and it says, tell me more about that. Say it again. Tell me again. And, and, and to be the body of Christ, 
We actually have to be the eyes of Christ that well up with tears. We actually have to be the hands of Christ that, that wrap our arms around dirty, defeated people and say, I will not leave you alone here. You do not have to be stuck in this injustice alone. I will use my body to shield you. I will use my love to let you be safe enough to be seen. And, and so as, as we are healing generations of injustice to, to black African-American story, that deep in the crevices of the soul that, that you would be considered three-fifths of a human. We, we got to sit in the dirt and say, tell me more about how that affects you today. And one of the kindest things I've ever been told that felt so much like Jesus, you can talk to me about this as many times as you need until you can remember this story with redemption, we're going to keep talking about this. So let's just all stand up. <clears throat> the greatest gift we can give the world in this moment of history is to stand and look for ourselves and behold a king who was lifted up off the earth as our answer, as our wisdom, as love embodied, as healing embodied, and see that love valued your grief, that, that love deeply and intimately saw your grief. And, you know, we would never say, compare yourself to others to see if you're worthy of love. We're far enough down the gospel road to know. Jesus alone defined that you are worthy of love. And he separated the divide between love and grief. So, so there is no trial and jury to decide if your grief was worth his time. There is no trial. There is no list of facts to decide if he thought your giant boulders of grief and your tiny pebbles of grief were worth his life. And if you diminish your own grief, you diminish the price he paid to endure it, to be bared up under the weight of it and feel the violent jolt of be lifted from the heavens to the earth and, and, and crucified on a tree. He did not hang alone. He hung with you. And, you know, when... When one of my daughters falls down and skins her knee, we know that love would never roll my eyes and say, get up, get over it, move on. That happened five minutes ago, you're fine. Look at your sister, she broke her leg. That's cruel. Love on the earth does not look like that. Love is moved with compassion and bends down to her skin little knee and wipes her tears and says, Ah, oh, honey, skin knees hurt. Skin knees hurt. To a father, there is no measuring stick in love, and there is no measuring stick in grief. And as the people...
God. To not live in judgment, we have to honor our own grief. And everybody says, amen. All right, I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.